Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Wednesday the 13th of December, waking up bright and early here in York following the Jim Crack dinner last night. Highlights of which included the BHA Chief Executive Julie Harrington issuing a rallying cry to the sport for greater transparency. I wonder how that will go down with some of the racecourses who are in the room. More of that in a little while. We'll also be considering the likely makeup of the King George field. Willie Mullins this morning has confirmed to me that Alaho is on course for the race, though he was in a little bit of a rush. Staying in Ireland, Jane Mangan is my guest today. And Jane, you've uncovered a, an interesting U-turn, shall we say, from the IHRB surrounding quite a controversial case that was much in the news a few months ago, but that has had precious little coverage since. Just tell us what it is. Yes, it's the strange case of Fleming's face. Uh, I won't give the, the entire background, but on the 8th of October, there was a referral into a positive test for Clenbuterol by this horse who won a Kilworth point-to-point. He won a point-to-point bu- point bumper at Cork Racecourse Mallow. And then, of course, he was subsequently sold to Lucinda Russell in the UK. And, and many months passed before anything came to light. Um, so the referral on the 5th of October concluded that his handler, Alan Ahern, would have his handler's permit withdrawn for a period of six months and that the horse would be disqualified from running for a period of 14 months, that he would be disqualified from his point to point and subsequently disqualified from his point to point bumper. Now, subsequent to that, on the 8th of December, there was a hearing um, just last week um, because Mr. Ahern appealed the severity of the suspension imposed on the horse and the decision of the referrals committee to disqualify that horse from the point-to-point bumper. It's worth noting the horse did not test positive for any banned substance post the bumper. Um, He accepted liability in the case that he thought he was administering uh, glycerine when it was actually ventipulmon. He did accept that he was at fault. Now, there was evidence given from a Professor Campion who said that, in her opinion, the substance administered on the 7th of March, which was the ventipulmon, would not affect the horse's performance during the race on the 10th of April, which was his point to point. That was countered by Dr. Lynn Hillier, who said that, in her view, that it would. Uh, She gave evidence at the hearing saying that notwithstanding a negative test on the 10th of April, the benefits of earlier administration of the clenbuterol to Fleming's face would have had a residual performance effect. Now, 
bear with me, right? This is a little bit heavy in jargon, but sometimes when we're dealing with these types of cases, I feel that the jargon's really hard to understand for good reason, but because we might just skip past it because it's a little bit boring and it's a little mm-hmm. bit difficult. No, don't you... worry. This is the this is the perfect place. You've got time. Yeah, if you bear with me in terms of what this next paragraph represents, I think should it's... we should we at this point just just remind people what happened when when it was discovered that Fleming's face had retrospectively uh, hair tested for clenbuterol, um, that Lucinda Russell and Peter Scudamore and the owner of Fleming's face were given the opportunity to send the horse back, which they did. So they don't have the horse anymore. So he, uh, Tattersalls, who I think sold the horse in Ireland, that's right, isn't it? They they agreed to take the horse back. So he's now back in Ireland. Correct. He's back with Mr. O'Hearn. Um, yeah. But the horse that Lucinda Russell had bought for her owners was not the horse that was sold. She bought a point-to-point winner and a bumper winner. But of course, he wasn't that. And our view at the time was that the IHRB should not have allowed the horse to be sold pending a positive result. Absolutely. My view on that at the time was that any horse in future, they should have their passports frozen until a referral hearing is concluded. Hmm. So we go on to this paragraph and say the committee considered that the serious nature of the prohibited substance, the fact that a source of clenbuterol was found at the appellant's yard during the IHRB inspection, and the evidence of the ongoing benefits of a single administration of clenbuterol to a horse's performance in terms where they race almost a, a month subsequent to the initial administration, warranted the IHRB exercising its powers under Rule 21. And that Rule 21 is to refuse to allow the horse to run if duly entered in any race until the decision of the referrals committee had concluded. Ah, so hang on, hang on. So so just, just let's clarify this. So there was already a provision in place within the rule book that meant that the IHIB could have done exactly what you'd asked them to do. Correct. And they didn't do it. And they did not do it. And subsequently to that, this appeal was partially successful. The horse remains banned for 14 months. The handler remains withdrawn without a permit for... Uh, for a period of six months, but he has been reinstated. He has no longer been disqualified from winning the bumper at Cork. He's been reinstated as the winner. Oh, so actually, it's as you were. So in fact, the horse that Lucinda Russell bought is a bumper winner still. Correct. But the horse is back in Ireland with the original handler and is still serving a ban. So what are the IHRB going to do now? And, and what should they learn from this? Well, it's a li- it, it is embarrassing for them. There is no doubt about that. They have to, in my view, this is uh, an opportunity for them to learn and not shoot themselves in the foot again. If a horse has an on, like when a horse fails a uh, dope test, we, the public, and we, anybody else other than them and the p- parties involved, don't hear about it for a significant period of time. So I think they need to, if there is a positive analytical finding, they need to freeze any subsequent entries or subsequent sale of that horse. Because in my view, I don't think it's up to the sales companies. I don't think it's up to anybody else other than the regulator to regulate these types of affairs. You can you can only have any control over something like this if you actually are in not in full knowledge of it. I mean, no one else knew apart from the regulator and the vendor. 
So, as I said, Fleming's face might just be a horse, but he may well have a significant bearing on the future of these types of affairs. You know, you know what's going to happen now. Fleming's face is going to end up winning a gold cup or something like that, and you'll never hear the end of him. And uh, Lucinda Russell and Peter Skidmore will be ruining their ill fortune at having to actually send him back in the first place. Because I know they but like the, I know they like they, the horse. They wouldn't have been able to run him for fourteen months, no. and they're. They had had the horse for a significant period of time, incurring their own expenses. And, you know, they, they really didn't have a choice but to send him back. True enough. Let's move on. Talk about the King George. I put in a call to Willie Mullins this morning, early doors. He was on the road. And so we were sort of intermittent in terms of being able to hear each other. So he couldn't actually come on the pod uh, in person, if you see what I mean. But he did say to me he was very happy for me to pass on that it was all systems go for the king george for alaho who is a mighty big price if if that's correct that he is he is going to head there and that's the intention according to the trainer 13 to 2 i think i saw yesterday jane in a race that is going to thin out badly for a horse of his talent that's that's big isn't it yeah he's you you forget how good a horse he is clanders a bow beats him 14 lengths of punchestown Ryanair Chase at Cheltenham by 14 lengths. Uh, Ryanair Chase, again, before that with Rachel Blackmore, is a significant performance. This horse, this horse, obviously, he came back at Clonmel. A lot of people said, oh, he was, he finished really tired. But he was entitled to finish tired. The ground was horrendous. And he'd been off for a significant period of time over two years. Um, I think the race is made for him. I, I, I love the fact that they're trying a Gold Cup route. They can always come back to the Ryanair in March if they want. Um, you say that we're going to have a small field. He could end up dominating from the front. This, this, he's a significant addition to the race. I'm glad he's going. Yeah, me too. Because it could be, it could really be very few runners. I and mean, when we talked about this yesterday, and Brave Man's game, we know is going to go. Royal Pagai is going to go. Um, beyond those two, Jerry Colom, Gordon Elliott confirmed yesterday, and Alaho, there might not be an awful lot else. But do you need a field of no. 10 or 12 when you not, have... Not not if you've got good ones. I mean, as I said to Lydia yesterday, I grew up on three and four runner editions of this race. I remember, I think the first King George I went to was a three runner race. Wayward Lad, Borough Hill Lad and Coombs Ditch, but you had three good ones. So yeah. it's the you, quality, isn't it? If you get Jerry, Alaho and Brave Mans, you got a race. You do indeed. Is there a possibility of a Venetia runner in it? Oh, definitely Royal Pagai. He's definitely going to run. Yeah, so I, I, I would say they're they're proper horses. Um, I think Shark Hanlon's waiting on ground with Hueyck. He's not going to get his ground, is he? Uh, well, according to Barney Clifford, and I spoke to him a couple of days ago, it's, it wasn't that bad. It was still only sort of good to soft. We had another bucket of rain yesterday in uh, in my neck of the woods. I'm up in York at the moment, but down there. and um, It's not going to be quick ground, is it? It'd be fine for him, I'd have thought. Yeah, so I wouldn't rule him out. He's he's obviously he's got to bounce back to his best form, but uh, he's a good horse as well. So I I don't in, in in races where you can have ten or twelve and have one or two good horses, you've named four or five good ones. If they all line up, it'll be a good race. I tell you what, at the moment in the UK, it, it's no place for the faint-hearted if you're riding out every morning, and that's where oh, Pat. Oh, it's horrible, Nick. Pat, and, and we're all we're all smothered with flu, and we can't get rid of it. Like that, you're li- you're listening to Paddy Neville, the trainer of the Real Wacker. How many lots have you ridden out this morning? Uh, three at the moment, Nick. Oh. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. And how how is how is the real Wacker? Because he's still in the King George, and he he was lame when he pulled up the other day. Are you are yeah, you on the right? 100%. He, he's a hundred percent in great form. Uh, he came out. He got a bit of an overreach the last day, but. Uh, in fairness to Sammy, he looked after him. He he knew he wasn't there was something not not right, so he 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 pulled him up. Okay. Uh, he he came back in. He was a bit lame, but was only in overreach. Which thank God we got we got kind of only we got it sorted out within about two or three days. So uh, how how much how much work did he have to miss? Not too much, about maybe two days, three days. But he didn't he didn't really miss because we had him on the water treadmill which is here, which is a great facility to, to get uh, cuts and things like that healed up quick, you know. And really, you don't miss a whole pilot. He didn't miss, he didn't miss any time, really. And no. do, you, do you reckon you'll get him to the King George? Oh, 100%, yeah. All going good. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, you don't. You, 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 look at, you look at that field and you think, hmm. You know, you've beaten Jerry Colon once already. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, he, he's he's the type of horse, he just takes that run every year as well. I know I started him off. He kind of just didn't work out the way we wanted it to work. We were going to Carlisle probably a week or two before Cheltenham, and uh, he, the ground just turned out to be too heavy. So I said I wouldn't start him off there. So we looked at the at, uh, paddy. We had him in the paddy power. So I had been down in Cheltenham in the October meet. So the ground was absolutely beautiful ground. So I said we'd, we'd go there. Which are, when, when we left uh, North Yorkshire here, the sky opened all the way down and it ran for two days previous to the paddy power. So the ground went heavy, really. So carrying top weight, he wasn't ideal in in a good race like that. So, but he ran as well as I. Uh, I was happy till the point, the point where he just died off. You know. Yeah, exa- exactly. That it, it it sounds as though he's the sort of horse who actually needs a few runs rather than one that you need to be wrapping up. The one run every year, he he takes it every year, uh, and he kind of just comes alive in after that. He kind of. Uh, like he he did come back out of the race well he he, he realized that uh yeah he said we're back to work here <laughs> and so. is, is sam all set to to ride him king george yeah. there yeah yeah and looking forward to him uh we're looking forward to him he the horse has, has come out he's 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 done a lot of work since and he's been away a few days we were hoping to get a grass gallop but we we can't really because of the of the ground conditions um, uh, good stuff Pat, paddy thanks for squeezing us in this morning i know time is tight no, but on Nick, any time at all. All right. Yesterday, we spoke to Gordon Elliott about Jerry Colon. We also spoke to him about the possible measures that are being rolled around in BHA Towers surrounding how many horses you can run or trainers might be able to run in Class 1 or 2 handicaps and the idea that you might cap it at four. Obviously, the Grand National would be the, the most severely impacted race, you would have thought, or perhaps positively impacted race, depending on which side of the fence you're on. Uh, Dr. Richard Newland gave some interesting quotes to Pete Scargill in the Racing Post overnight. And I put a call into him this morning, not just about that, but because today marks the beginning of a new joint training venture that he's undertaken with Charlie Hill's former assistant, Jamie Insole. They've got a runner on the flat at Lingfield today. And I began uh, by asking him about that, but much, much more to follow. Well, it's a a lot of fun, Nick. Um, uh, I was aware that Jamie was looking for an opportunity to train, and it's coincided nicely with uh, a couple of things, really. One, uh, us taking a strategic decision at the yard to to go dual purpose and to embrace flat racing, and that, I must say, I'm thoroughly enjoying. Remains to be seen how we get on. Um, But, uh, and, and, and also, it suits me 
I've been doing it for 17 years now, so it's just quite. It's, it's nice to, you know, to have um, to to share some of the responsibilities. So um, there's actually three of us in the yard in a way because there's there's, there's Jamie who's going to head up all the flat racing. Uh, I'm still going to head up all the jump racing, and I'm supported by uh, Dan Abraham, who Dan, Dan, who many people know, runs Fox Trot Racing so well. He's has been working with me in a, a capacity we call director of racing. So he and I are kind of doing that jointly. So that's quite interesting. It, it sounds as though you're trying to adopt a slightly more corporate structure. It re- reminds me a bit more of, of some of the stables in, in in Australia. What's the inspiration for that? I just think it's, you know, uh, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, it's also, it, it's, it's a, uh, as we know, the, to do the job properly, there's an incredible amount of day-to-day communication, uh, going to the races and so on. Um, it's, uh, it's just a, a bit of succession planning, I suppose. Um, but um, at the same token, uh, it's, it's, really good fun we work very well as a team we i think we bring different things to the table um jamie brings fantastic experience uh, as you say working with charlie hills uh we we couldn't be running the flat the, the, the flat component of the yard without him so um everyone brings different bits to the table and uh it's evolving nicely bringing flat horses to the yard richard to what extent was that a commercial decision versus a, a new challenge for you because i know you're a man who likes a challenge uh both, but I think initially commercial. You know, I think jump racing is struggling. Uh, there's not a great big queue of uh, owners, uh, certainly not at my door, all um, wanting jump horses. Um, uh, the economics of jump racing don't stand up particularly well. We know the prize money is pretty poor in flat racing and jump racing in the UK relative to the rest of the world. But in jump racing, really, there's, the, the, you know, jump racing only really happens in Ireland, France and the UK. And um, we're, we're forever just looking for good homes for horses. And um, despite people still paying quite a lot of money to try and buy a Cheltenham horse or uh, a top horse. So flat racing definitely appears to have a better a better chance of a return on your money uh and uh, i must say we've um been out and we bought 20 yearlings uh for next year we bought 10 horses in training as well so we've got quite a nice team to get go to war with and uh, i'm really excited to see how that plays out and um I, i'm enjoying it even more than i thought it would to be quite honest it's going to be really really fascinating to see how we get on you, you just touched on something i've been rolling around in my mind for a bit now and that is um the the different wants really of flat owners versus jump owners and so everybody wants a Cheltenham winner uh, and that seems to drive the incentive for almost anybody to have a, a jumps horse whereas if you're an owner on the flat say at a, a mezzanine or, or or fairly low level you don't think well I'm only going to do this if I have a winner at Royal Ascot or I'm only going to do this if I can compete in the derby against Aidan O'Brien you're probably a bit more maybe a bit more realistic and wonder whether that gives a bit more ballast to the ownership um, a firmament really whereas over jumps you sort of don't get people saying well if I get to Cheltenham it's nice but I'm quite happy just to have a bit of crack at Huntington on a Tuesday afternoon it, I don't know if that I don't, I'm only I'm thinking sort of shooting from the hip really yeah well I think that, I mean there are people who still absolutely love jump racing I still absolutely love jump racing 
and and still even even you know we, we won a race at Fontwell yesterday for Foxtrot Racing and um, if you see the joy on those faces everyone thoroughly enjoyed it so it, it, it's still a great thrill of winning any race um, I think the big difference is 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 the selling on I mean uh, there's, there's quite a lot of evidence of, of sort of not even your very top flat horses but above average flat horses winning a maiden and big fancy offers coming in from overseas where they're prepared to pay more money for these horses. There's a sell-on market for it because um, because they can win good prize money in those countries. It, you know, it's a different ball game. You've got a chance of a return. Yeah, I, I mentioned the, the maximum runners in handicaps that we spoke about yesterday, and you're quite in favour yes. of something like that, just to kind of redress the balance of super trainers versus the rest? I think there's a whole raft of problems uh, at the moment um, with the frankly Irish dominance of UK jump racing and uh, the idea that the Grand National uh, is reduced in numbers what to 34 not, not something I would have supported by the way um, and the idea that that could end up with let's say 20 horses from this from two Irish stables is just so unedifying for the whole concept of the race that someone needs to do something so it's 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 an initiative that I think is a step in the right direction. I very much hope they're brave enough to properly implement it and make changes. Um, but because we need to address it, um, it, it's it's one of a number of problems at the moment in jump racing. I, I, I'm sort of yesterday we were talking about this. I sort of came to the conclusion it wasn't workable because we we just weren't in a strong enough position in terms of the the numbers of horses. But you maybe you're a bit braver than me. Well, there's, there's always going to be people who want to run their horse in the Grand National if they can get in. Uh, the problem is, it's going to be restricted to very highly rated horses. And we know, and I'm not blaming them for doing it, but we know one or two trainers who've adopted a high volume entries just to try and keep other people out. So to maximise the chance of that, they don't, you know, if you run 14 in a race, you don't seriously fancy your or 14, 10 of them are to stop other people getting in. Well, that's not the spirit of the Grand National anyway. And as far as today's concerned, is Hill Station going to make a winning start for the partnership? <laughs> I don't know. He's got a bit of a cruel draw, hasn't he? Drawn 11 of 11. That doesn't sound a great draw to me. Um, but uh, we've got informed Ross Ryan on top, so um, we hope so. Um, it would uh, be great if he did, wouldn't it? I mean, it was, it was fun for me because I didn't sort of plan it this way, but my last runner in my own name was yesterday uh, and she won. So that's quite a nice way to finish, isn't it? So um, it would be great if uh, Jamie could get off to a winning start with me. That was Dr. Richard Newland, a bit like Huey Morrison earlier in the week. You ring about something quite straightforward. You always end up with a bit more because he's a guy that thinks quite deeply about the game and he's got some quite strong views on it. Uh, strong views on the viability of jump racing and the need to expand commercially into flat racing was an interesting one. Uh, and I thought, again, he was very persuasive, Jane, in his in his case for backing a possible plan to, to cap entries. Gordon Elliott was also very persuasive yesterday. Depending on which side of the fence you sit, both arguments are quite easy to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not surprised that either one of the regulators is trying to to do something about um, the number of individual runners a trainer can have or an owner can have. I just don't think that this is the right route, if that's fair, because I know we're looking at it from the Gordon Elliott Jigginstown House perspective. 
But Gordon Elliott has more owners than Jigginstown House. And um, if you take, for instance, the case of Willie Mullins over here, he's had five and six. I think he had the six, first six home in a grade one last year in Fairy House, and they were all by different owners. Remember that day Flame Bear won the novice chase? Yeah, Sorry. I mean, the, 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 point that, the point that Richard made there was that if you have an owner more than a trainer, I think, he thinks well, an owner will load a field up in order to keep other people out rather than you know if they they run 14 in a race they they only realistically could fancy two or three of them yeah i don't for whatever uh view you take i think without the owner and the big supporting owners we don't have a job or an industry so i'd be very careful about your your you're looking at it from the view that you want that you want to see. And if you see um, a top weight that is out of form, you're saying, well, he's keeping me out of the handicap. But that horse has top weight for a reason, because once in his life, he was meriting the rating he has. Um, and who's to say he wouldn't bounce back to something like that? Um, my view would be, should we be looking at it from the perspective of, of limiting the number of runners a trainer can have in a, in a season? Uh, you guys were talking about the the idea of pre-trainers yesterday and how, you know, if a, if a trainer has 150 horses in training at any one time, you're not accounting for the number of horses they have in pre-training ready to come in once a stable becomes vacant. So that to me, if if we're looking at a bigger picture, that might be more of a route to take. I, I wouldn't so, so think the, what's, what's, yeah. what's proposed. So what we're we're agreeing on the fact that there is an issue and the 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 issue of of super trainers and dominance and anti competitiveness we're all agreed somebody needs to do something but you would tackle it maybe more at its root. Yeah, like we 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 know, for instance, if you look at the horses returned in training, that they're not reflecting the actual number of horses a trainer has control of, shall we say, or has at their disposal. And if you look at um, maybe the number of runners a trainer can have in a year, then maybe they would think more carefully about, um, you know, just the, the sheer volume that they have. Um, I'm just going to take a look at the statistics table here in Ireland. Um, Gordon Elliott has uh, 143 winners trained this year. We know he's having an incredible year and he's had 762 runs um so look that's that's huge in whatever way you look at it and maybe that's what you should cap it at maybe maybe there should be a specific number of runners i don't say you should limit the number of times a horse can run but a specific number of horses you can run in a season maybe that's the way to look at it i think this is a debate now i don't think this is something that should come in overnight everybody has a different view on this but if we're going to take radical action to combat things like a superpower stable i think it's a discussion that needs to be had well, as I say, I'm here in York at the moment. I was at the Jim Crack dinner last night. The industry speech was given by Julie Harrington, the BHA chief executive, and I thought she made some pretty interesting points. And, and I suppose that if, if she did um, flick a match into the tinderbox, it was uh, calling on racecourses to be more open and transparent as regards uh, the money they receive from uh, media rights uh, and felt that that would have a, a much 
um, more beneficial knock-on effect on the rest of the industry. Uh, Nick Smith from from Ascot joins me now. Now, Nick, we we've had, you were there last night. We've had a chat about this before. Um, do you think this is going to land? And 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 do you think this was a a welcome and or unusual intervention from a BHA chief executive? It was a fantastic night, as, as you rightly say. Um, as, we, as I said last uh, last week, when we talked about our prize money announcement, we, you know, we've we've always been transparent about our our, our media rights income. We, we've transparent about our turnover. Um, <clears throat> the business has to be looked at as a whole. Obviously, uh, all businesses have to look at have to be looked at as a whole. Um, but so uh, you know, we said last week we were you know we were increasing our prize money to seventeen and a half million. Our turnover is a matter of public record. It's a, it's around about the ninety eight to one hundred million mark. Um, about ten percent of that turnover is media rights, and um, uh, and it's, it's really up to every racecourse business to decide what they want to put in the public eye. But most are, most are pretty open and transparent. I mean, the William Darby. Um, was referenced uh, last night in one of the speeches, I believe, um, and uh, in terms of the prize money contributions that they make, and, and Bridget, the chairman of York, said that they deliver all of their um, all of their media rights into prize money. So uh, certain businesses are able to be completely open. We are, York are, and it's really a matter for, for whichever business um, that's being uh, that's being run by any individual company or organisation to decide what their policy is. I suppose uh, the, the the wider point is. Um, is this a sign that BHA leadership is a bit more emboldened by the new, by the new structure? The new structure is bedding in very, very well. I mean, it's certainly better, as she referenced, uh, than the tripartite structure, which was a, which was a hamstring. Uh, for everybody, um, and uh, and this is better all round. The commercial committee, uh, which Rich represent, has representatives of all facets of the industry, is advising the BHA. But ultimately, the BHA will make the, some of the bigger decisions. But they have to do it, of course, um, with uh, with the considerations of all parties in mind, because Rome wasn't built in a day, uh, and we are a different industry to other uh, to other racing industries around the world. You know, we will all, always have um, a slightly less, uh, slightly more more aggregated, if you like, um, approach to running the sport um, than, uh, than, than say, a, a Japan or a, or a Dubai. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we welcome what Julie said. I mean, you know, we're very open and transparent. We want to work with the participants for the common good. I think, you know, what mustn't get lost in this argument and what mustn't get lost within the, the, the restructuring for Premier is that there's not an awful lot more money coming in. You know, there's a little bit of money coming from what's called the core into Premier, and the Levy Board have, have um, supported the new project for, for, for one year during its trial. But these are not uh, radical, game-changing numbers. This is th- what's happening next year are, are trials of some, some new concepts, and we'll see how they bed, bed in uh, and what they achieve. Um, there isn't a huge amount more money for next year. We know that, um, and therefore we all have to work within the uh, within the realities of the of the uh, of the of the industry that we're in. Now that is only part of the reason why I've called you today, because my um, my interest was piqued by something that dropped into my inbox yesterday as regards new partnership between Ascot and Churchill Downs. What's happening here? That's right. Well, it's a partnership actually between Ascot, the Jockey Club in the UK, and Churchill Downs as well. And in fact, was um, was brokered by uh, by Matt Walston at the Jockey Club. He 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 was the one who had the idea of of looking at some of the turf races that take place um, at uh, Churchill Downs over Kentucky Derby weekend, um, and linking them, if you like, as wild card races to the UK. So there are a couple of races that link into the Derby and the Oaks, and in our case, the, the Twin Spires, which you'll be familiar with, the the, the five and a half. 
our furlong race um, on, on turf links into the, the, the now Charles the third stakes which of course is the King Stand uh, and the turf classic is, is it provides a wild card into the Queen Anne and the Prince of Wales stakes and what's important here and what's different here is that, is that these uh, these races in the UK are closed uh, it's an unfortunate quirk if you like that, uh, that our race is all closed before that meeting the Kentucky Derby meeting where the Keeneland races like the, the Shaker Town and such like are uh, are uh, are run before Royal Ascot closes, uh, early, well the early closing closing dates. Uh, but these races are are, are slightly long, about a week and a half after. This gives us the opportunity to talk to the connections of those pivotal turf races uh, at that crucial time of the year in May uh, at one of their biggest, well probably their biggest um their biggest meeting of the year, um, and we can offer those horses the same uh, entry into our races uh, because we work hard with the BHA and the BHA have agreed that this is a, a good thing to trial and to see whether there's an opportunity potentially to expand it um, going forward, maybe into other countries um, uh, in 2025. But for, for next year, let's hope, it's a, let's hope it has some success. All right, Nick, thanks so much. Thank you, Nick. Right, Jane, still with me. Uh, you've been at the sales most of the week. What sales is it this time? It's Goffs, Foles, yes, National Hunt Foles? Goffs, National Hunt Foles, yeah. So for our family, this is um, bread and butter harvest type stuff. Um, and you mean by, by our family, you mean your actual literal family, not your not your racing family? No, yeah, as in the Mangans, yeah. We're um, we're here all week. And um, look, Tattersalls was a tough trade. So we came up here knowing that the market is... A little bit volatile at the moment. I think um, a little bit is probably being kind to it. We we saw the polarization in terms of stallions at the uh, Tattersalls National Hunt Sale, and that is definitely been translated here um, at Goffs as well. They did have the highest priced National Hunt Fall sold this year when the supplemented Walk in the Park brother to Stage Star made one hundred and ten thousand euro on the first day to Dick Frisbee. Um, and the first or the top four lots are all by walk in the park. Uh, the clearance rate is tough. It's around 60 percent at the moment after two days of trade. But overall, I think we're personally we're getting on fine. We're getting all of our full sold at the moment. Touch wood. We're only halfway. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it is the, the market is a tough place right now. And there's no point in dressing it up as anything else. Um we have a reliance on two or three stallions, which is absolutely ridiculous. But as much as I say it's ridiculous, I don't know how to fix the problem. Uh, those two stallions are walking the park in blue Brazil. Are there others coming through? I mean, you, you've supported Crystal Ocean a bit. He seems to have done quite well. Of course. Yeah, look, the horse that everybody thought should, should have stood on the flat. And we were lucky that he stood 10 minutes down the road at Robert McCarty's. And why wouldn't we use him? He was such a good racehorse. So, yes, without having runners to date, he remains very popular. Um, interestingly enough, Valgeist had a horse make 52,000 um, on the first day. Order St. George on the back of that impressive Punchestown hurdles winner for Gordon Elliott, the three-year-old. He's got first crop four-year-olds next year. They're very popular as well. And um, there's a mix with the first season sires. Santiago uh, seems to be doing very well. Jukebox jury is very solid. Uh, DXB is making an impression with his first foals. Um, and Poets were a little bit like Crystal Ocean, a very good racehorse, yet to have runners. And um, we're waiting to see. So look, there. if you go further down the list off the top prices, there is trade um, and there is trade for a nice foals. Um, but I do think if anybody was uh, thinking of buying, this is the year to to buy because the value is there. Go out and buy us one, will you? 
Will I sign the NLD pod? Go on then. Go, go, go and buy us a fold. You've got a budget of a grand. Do you know what? You would get something. All right. And while Jane looks for that fold, we'll head to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Nick, uh, we're still recovering, of course, after the weekend. What a weekend of racing it was. Fantastic to see Golden 60 and his electric uh, acceleration. Also, Lucky Swainess and Romantic Warrior. Well, Romantic Warrior's rider, Jay Mack, James McDonald is the man to follow at Happy Valley today. We've got nine races there. And I think Run Run Timing in race four is a horse we should be following. He's had only the one start so far, but by golly, he did show promise on that occasion and I think can go in today. So race four, number six, Run Run Timing. And later on, J-Mac rides in race seven, number two, Beato or Beato, whichever you prefer. He's drawn very attractively in stall one. He's trained by Tony Cruz, who's booked J-Mac for the first time for this horse. And this five-year-old by Tavistock looks like he's been crying out for this trip, 1650 metres, which is just over a mile. So in race seven, number two, Beato or Beto, to beat number eight, Dragon Star. So that's Happy Valley today. Uh, that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right, thanks to the croc and all my guests today. Jane is still with me. Jane, have you got a tip for me? Yes, it's interesting to have a listed race in the middle of December, but that is exactly what we have at Kempton this evening with the Wildflower Stakes, the 12 furlong listed race. And I think Rebels Romance dropping down in class, the five-year-old that won the Prevon Europa, that won the Breeders' Cup last year. I think this is an, an ideal opportunity for him to get his confidence back in the Wildflower Stakes at Kempton. God, you're warming us up with a Breeders' Cup turf winner running on December the 13th at Kempton on the Poly Track. Would you believe it? Right, that's it for us for now. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.